How do you know if you've made the right decision for a hire for your business? Often we go off gut instinct off the bat and we can make those decisions looking backwards when we look at someone's performance on various KPIs. Uh, but as it turns out, artificial intelligence might be able to help us make better decisions before the hire. Our guest this week on the Tech Emergence podcast is Pasha Roberts, who's the chief scientist at Talent Analytics, an artificial intelligence company based outside of Boston. Pasha's company works on helping companies make better decisions before the hire by applying machine learning to various data points on a given applicant, including important information from aptitude tests that may help predict not only their performance in the job, but importantly, their retention. This week, we talk about how machine learning can be applied to the domain of HR or the workforce world, where numbers are relatively small. We, we speak about how in the finance world, we might deal with millions of transactions, but even in a very large company, we're not coming close to that in terms of hires per year. How can machine learning still be useful in making better decisions? That's what we dive into in this episode. I hope that you find it useful. All right, Pasha, the, the first question I'm interested to dive into is today at present, what are the AI applications used to predict job performance? I think so many of us are familiar with some degree of how machine learning plays a role in autonomous cars or all these other areas. HR still quite unknown, I think, in the broader domain of AI applications. Where does AI play a role in this? Yeah, sure. Basically, we use machine learning all the time and you know, in each of our applications to predict what kinds of people are likely to perform in a specific role in terms of KPI performance, you know, like what kind of sales reps are going to meet quota attainment or fill in documentation, or uh, we do it for attrition. So we look at basically what kinds of people are likely to survive and um, stay on a job for a long time as opposed to somebody who's going to leave in six weeks. So that's the kind of thing that we basically were predicting individual people uh, so that you can hire better and promote better. And that, that's one of the most important things. And it's most important to do it before you bring the person inside the door. Uh, you know, it's kind of like credit ratings. Uh, you know, you don't want to lend money to somebody and then start calculating whether they're going to pay their loan back or not. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you really kind of want to get a sense of whether they're, the employee is going to pay back the investment you make in them before you bring them inside the house and, and uh, and start working with them. That makes oodles of sense intuitively. I think it's tough to argue against that. Uh, although I think it's probably new for a lot of folks that such a thing exists outside of the, the sort of normal reference checks and intuitive feel that we have when we sit down and have a coffee with someone who's interested in becoming employed. Well, in that case, you are predicting too. It's just a human doing it with their yep. gut and yep. it's kind of biased and it's kind of, you know, people like to hire people that sound like them and look like them and yep, yep. look like them. And, and it's, you know, you're predicting there too, but it's just, but it's riddled. It's less yeah. It's, 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 it's riddled with the horrible wishy-washy heuristics that, you know, are imbued in every other facet of our decision-making. And, and it, like you said, it's not anchored around KPIs. I'm curious, Pasha, when you say, is this kind of person, what is kind of person to you guys and at your company? What information can you look at? Are we talking about LinkedIn profiles here? Are we talking about, um, the cadence and sort of verbal style of their email writing. What, what are what are we able to pull into the system to sort of make those calls? Yeah, I mean, there's limited data that you can do for people before you hire them because you know once somebody's an employee, you have this stream of data that comes off of them every day. Going, you know, you're allowed to look through their email and look through. You know, some people put RFID badges on people and walk them around the building and look at who's talking with whom. 
uh, you can't do that with job applicants, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it's even somewhat questionable to go through somebody's, you know, Facebook and, you know, just privacy issues all over the place to go through that. Yeah. Um, there are people that are doing that. Um, and there's also kind of a generational bias on that, too, because different generations use Facebook or social media. That's than true. That's true. But there are certainly things. I mean, there's certainly there, there's the trail of work that they have had over time. Uh, there's, you know, their CV and LinkedIn or whatever um, stands for uh, holding their experience these days. And then also um, we do a lot of work with, you know, validated scientific pre-hire assessments, which is basically looking at, um, you know, surveys that look at somebody's aptitude, looking yes, at what okay. kind of raw um, talent somebody has. It's a pretty stable thing that goes through somebody's lifetime. Uh, and we've done a lot of work to bring that kind of technology into the data science age. There's, you know, been work been done on that kind of thing for a long time, but there is a lot of it is centered still on paper and pencil days yep. where you have a specific survey, like, you know, this is what makes a good sales rep. And this is, take another survey and this is what makes a good service rep. You know, we, we tend to measure a person as a person and then apply models, you know, a lot of models sometimes onto it. So, so that's the kind of thing. And it gives some really interesting opportunities then because you can actually just measure people as they come in based on characteristics. And they may not be applying for a job. They may just be applying to the company. And you apply them against hundreds of models and figure out where they're going to fit best in the company. Got it. Okay. So, so, and now when you say apply them to these models and see where they might fit best, I assume this, this implies, okay, we look at their, their CV and then we look at their Myers-Briggs or their, um, name. Well, your... Myers-Briggs. That's, that's okay. pretty debunked. But... Got it. Got it. Well, I mean, every, everybody and their mother yeah. has a favorite when it comes to that stuff. Um, but what, yeah. where do you guys, where do you guys swing? Uh, well, we have a proprietary thing that we have validated um, okay. that throws off. I think there's 244 dimensions in it, but you know, so we use that. But it's still a um, useful. You know, there's all kinds of tools out there. I, you know, I'm not we're we're not here selling so much as talking <laughs> yeah. about approaches and ways to to do things. But that's definitely a, a very useful and so sometimes underappreciated thing. The problem, a lot of times people don't take all these tools, you know, like looking at the CVs or looking at assessments or looking at social media data. They don't actually tie it to what really happens after they make the yeah. judgment. They don't actually look and say, well, did this person stay on the job or did they leave after three weeks, you know, or did they actually turn out to be a good sales rep? You know, you have to complete the loop and do feedback and keep building the model. And that's that's what machine learning is. You keep getting smarter. That's true. And so... I think I understand, you know, your your uh, various dimensions that you use, and it would make sense, and maybe you'd have something proprietary there to sort of be tailored to the the data science age, as you said, not the pen and paper age. Um, I can see how using such an assessment could be yanked into a, a model, and we could figure out what's our likelihoods on retention with this kind of a, a person. What's what's our likelihood on performance based on another, you know, fifty, a hundred people that we hired for something similar. On top of that, though, I'm thinking about CV. Are you able to pull that into your models when you're making these calls? I, I would understand how something as sort of quantitative as such an assessment might be able to be shoved into a system. But can we really say, you know, spent spent two years running his own electronic shop, uh, spent six months as a, you know, head of marketing such and such at this this branch of target you know how is how is that being able to inform your machine learning models that seems very dynamic and, and tough to sort of pin down 
Yeah, I mean, we haven't done as much with that. Um, partially just, you know, the adage is really you know, hire for skills and uh, fire for attitude. So we uh. spend a lot of time actually looking at attitude and temperament and raw talent. But um, but there are this suggestion is just part of um, an overall thing. You don't want to hire you know somebody who's a violent felon or <laughs> somebody who's you know into a banking position or something like that. Yeah. So there's a, there there are other you know there are other dimensions that may not actually go into the algorithm. Okay, got it. That just might be decisions that you you field out beforehand. Um, but so we can get into the to the algorithm side and sort of making those calls now. What comes to comes to my mind, Pasha, is that you know in in areas where I may be familiar with some degree of an application in in uh, machine learning. You know, I, I run an e-commerce business, and if you're looking at customer lifetime value based on lead source or first product purchased or second product purchased, if you can push. 15,000 transactions a month, at some point you can train a model. I'm thinking now with respect to hiring, it would seem as though there'd have to be a good amount of hiring with very well-tracked kind of quantitative personality assessment or skills assessment, however you, you folks frame it, um, and, then, and then a good deal of tracking their performance over time in order to eventually get a model up to snuff where we could take someone off the street, we could look at a few important data points, including such a, a quantitative assessment, and then gauge, you know, time on the job, KPI performance, things like that. Is that safe to say? Do we are we looking here at high volume jobs that are very measurable? Yeah, usually it's it's higher volume roles, like, you know, say it's a, a call center or bank tellers or yeah. things like that. Um, you know, a lot of people want to go straight to the knowledge workers and Part of the problem with that is that we don't have good outputs. We don't have good quality measurements yep. for knowledge workers. Like I, I have no numeric measure of how good I am as chief scientist. Yep. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's not a number from one to 10 or a hundred that, nope. that anybody could give. So, you know, our same thing for a president, it's not your stock price. Um, so the outputs are harder for those things. Uh, you can actually do some interesting work in terms of attrition or in terms of team, team building. Uh, and there's ongoing research we're doing with that. But, you know, the, the things for the, the high volume roles are really, there's tremendous savings in there. You know, it, it costs upwards of $10,000 to replace even a very simple entry-level worker. And, you know, if you're hiring, you know, hundreds of them a year, um, just making a small change will save easily save you a million dollars or two, um, you know, with just a little bit of intelligence uh, applied to it. And that, I can completely see how that would be the case. Let me ask this, Pasha, you know, presumably you guys are working then with companies, obviously, that are doing enough hiring for it to really matter, right? You couldn't, if, you, if you're generating 20 transactions a month on your e-commerce store, you're not exactly going to train a model. You start shoving twenty thousand. You know now we can we can start talking. You know if, if you're hiring ten salespeople a year versus you know four hundred salespeople a year, we can really play out performance across geographic areas and with personality assessments and how long they stay on the job. And like you said, we have tangible outputs. You know, a job like yours, chief scientist. Geez, you know. I don't really know how to measure that. And, and you're right in supposing, I guess, that, that you don't for yourself. Let me ask this. Um, we've had a lot of great founders of security, and I mentioned this off microphone with you, security companies and executives at security companies that, that leverage predictive analytics for uh, anomaly detection and things along those lines. And what they're able to do is 
uh, be plugged in with a ton of various and sundry companies, and they can pick up on patterns for you know DDoS attacks or uh, you know the the stealing of some important internal data or you know, access by folks who shouldn't be accessing certain financial data or whatever the case may be, they can they can find trends in these kind of in their own analytics, in their own predictive analytics systems. And then when they learn about that and they see that as a pattern across a few companies, they can apply that to their solution. And then that that also is applicable to other companies. It seems to me, Pasha, that maybe in this case, Different companies are, you know, this has to be more bespoke. Maybe you're not able to take what you learned at, let's say, one big call, big call center A, you know, Triton, for example, uh, is like a big call center. You, you, maybe you can't take what you learn at Triton and automatically plug it in to, you know, some other call center gig or, or some other bank teller role. Um, are, are there trends that you've been able to pool that matter in an aggregate way? Or are we really looking at training a pretty unique model per business? Uh, we like to do the latter. We like to actually build a, I don't like the word bespoke because that sounds a little bit too craftsman-like, but, but we think each company, um, at least the size that we deal with, um, really has a unique culture and has a unique way of doing things. And if you're hiring a sales rep for, you know, for Apple, it's really different than hiring a sales rep for SAP. Yeah. You know, it's a completely different culture, different gig. Um, you know, and it's really different than, you know, somebody that's a Triton or, you know, or something like that. So, um, we actually build a custom model for each role. It's not hard. I mean, there's a lot of automation involved. And I, I think, uh, you know, and we look at future applications. I mean, I think this whole thing of creating jobs and creating job models, uh, can be completely, it's, it's, it's a mass customization kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you can actually apply software to create models in a almost unsupervised way and it can just work out there in the cloud and create them for you and you could even thrash models you could even come up with new models every night for the company uh, if you want Um, normally in hr you don't have the kind of velocity i mean even if you're even if you're walmart and you're hiring half a million people a year i mean that's 1300 a day which is nothing in terms of machine learning volume nope um, it's absolutely nothing so it's it's pretty it's not big data in terms of velocity that's for sure yeah so that's i suppose one of the machine learning challenges there is that you know we've, we've got to be able to train systems or uh you know whether it's hands-on or hands-off train systems that can work with smaller data sets and still be meaningful and of course that's the business that you're in um i'll ask this pasha as the last question and we'll often kind of lean into the future in the last question here at tech emergence you're obviously working away in a company applying artificial intelligence, predictive analytics to HR. Where do you see the biggest changes in AI in HR over the next maybe five to 10 years? I, I think it's safe to say that most, at least small and probably most midsize, maybe even a lot of you know Fortune 1000 businesses are, are maybe not applying predictive analytics in a very thorough company-wide way in the roles where it might be applicable. Um, where do you see this kind of AI for HR become popular? What are the applications that are broad enough and, and have enough possibility for traction where they might really be the reason that we all come to learn that this is a thing? A lot of people would probably be surprised at what you're able to do at your company. What will be the things that, that really take this HRAI trend into the future and to become a, a well-known sort of phenomenon application? Yeah. Uh, well, it's basically mass customization is, is a big part of it where somebody can have kind of an easy button uh, you know, to push and start creating a model 
uh, and it will go out and create samples and and identify you know variables of interest uh, and you know even deploy the model when they push the deploy button on it. So that's definitely something we're working on, and you know somebody can actually supplement uh, more complicated models along with these sort of easy button type of models. But mass customization is definitely uh, something. You know, we're looking at some of the deep learning, some of the less transparent kind of uh, deep learning is really just glorified uh, neural networks. Yep. But some of the processing that's you know going to be available on, on some of those chips and bringing back to that some transparency so people actually do know what's happening inside the model or have ideas of why it's making the decisions that it's doing. Uh, and so that's something that's kind of interesting to us uh, also. And then one thing that's really unique uh, in terms of uh, workforce analytics, uh, and we usually call it workforce instead of HR analytics, is you know we, we take methods from finance for risk, we take methods from medicine for survival analytics, that kind of a thing. But something that's not found in a lot of that, a lot of these things that one person enters a company and moves from role to role over time. Yeah, and so so there's kind of a social, not quite a social network, but there's a um, a movement through the company that's fairly unique problem to. Um, HR analytics, you know, it, it's, you might see it inside supply chain or some similar problems like that, but um, there's this movement and modeling people going through that movement. Uh, and so we're actually doing, you know, doing system dynamics or agent-based modeling to actually show how that stuff fits in. Um, not so much to predict the megatrends of how many people you're going to need, but actually to simulate and look at how people can move and it will let you actually hire somebody an entry-level job that will seed the future. We call it succession seeding. And you can actually hire somebody that's likely to move through the corporate lattice all the way up to where you want them to be. If you want, if you need more branch managers in 10 years, then you can hire people in a way that will move in that direction. If you need people, more people in operational management roles, you can actually hire people that will branch in that direction. Ah, so there's this kind okay. of seating that you can do that um, is, is pretty powerful. Interesting. Okay, so that might be a future application. I, I like talking about what might be. What, what we're, yeah, okay. we're doing that in limited senses now. We just don't have the full corporation modeled out at this point and the clients that we're doing that. Yeah, it would, take, it would, it would clearly take a little bit of time, right? Because you've got to have some years for people to be able to make their way up the lattice as you had framed it and and you know, pull enough information about their performance in various roles and where they've moved to. And it sounds like a pretty robust application, but something that in, in you know, maybe five, 10 years might be a little bit more broadly applied in larger companies. You know, man, we sure do need more folks at this level in marketing or more, more folks at this degree of management. Let's make sure we start hiring the folks that could actually get there. I think that's kind of uh, neat. It, it, maybe that isn't going to be the, the first thing that really kind of hits the ground running and makes um, workforce AI popular. Do you see sort of uh, any any particular applications that are so sort of tangible and low-hanging fruit, relatively speaking, in this area, that they're likely to be what is adopted widely? If there's some application of workforce AI that, that you feel most optimistic about gaining wider adoption over the coming five years, what do you think that would be? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole the corporate lattice thing is kind of more of a global maximum where you're sure. actually achieving a, what's best for the whole organism. But a local maximum, you know, is really what's best for one role. And in particular, in terms of um, in terms of attrition, is really easy to model. You don't have to 
extract from managers what they think the most important KPIs <laughs> are and what the weighting is. Yeah. And, um, people often don't always know, or they'll give you seven variables that are highly correlated, and it's really one variable. So, you know, but attrition is, is costly everywhere. It's a problem everywhere. And, you know, and it's, it's easy to model, at least for us. Yep. So, so that's a pretty easy, low-hanging fruit. Uh, and that can just be done rapidly. And that's a great target for, the ma- that, for us for mass customization on that. Big time. Okay, that's a great insight, Pasha. And it, I, it completely makes sense when you've said it. You know, you don't have to ask what is the KPI. Because even in a role like sales or other positions, when KPIs might seem evident, you know, there's always a shot that that's, that's sort of not it. And that maybe it's shifting or, or maybe it represents a couple factors that we're missing. But attrition is attrition. And although a KPI might be somewhat useful, attrition is always costly. So this is a, a very firm data point signifying something significant that doesn't actually need a tremendous amount of per industry tailoring. And if you can model that and just work on attrition, that sounds like the lowest hanging ROI. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, performance is fun. I mean, just because it's contradictory sometimes, you know, do you want your sales rep to keep great records or do you want them to make lots of sales that they, you know, these can contradict each other Yep. and we can bring that stuff up to managers really nicely. But, but, um, attrition, you know, nobody wants somebody that's going to be on the job for six weeks. Um, yeah. you know, they want somebody that's going to be around for a long time and bring uh, value. So there, there's a ubiquitous application that, that sort of, is less arguable, I suppose, that uh, maybe will gain that broader traction. So that's all that I had, Pasha. I'm, I'm glad to hear some of your perspective on the future there. That last one really clicked with me. I appreciate you sharing your insights here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Okay, Dan, thanks a lot. Um, it's a lot of fun speaking with you, and uh, I hope it's interesting. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.